welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 75th episode, our returning guest is Lewis Moore. You first heard Lewis Moore on episode 53 of the podcast. Lewis Moore is an associate professor of history at Grand Valley State University, where he teaches African-American history, sports history, and gender history. He graduated with a BA from California State University, Sacramento in 2001, an MA from the University of California, Davis in 2005, and a PhD from the University of California, Davis in 2008. And now on to the show. Hello? Hey, Lewis, it's Rob. Hey, how's it going? I was just going through an email. I was like, I thought I... No. Yeah, I have a three-month-old daughter who uh, needed to have a diaper change, so I... Uh... Always, always. I know how to... I know how it is. I know, I know you're a father, so I figured you'd understand, but... Um... Yeah, of course. Today is the first day where they're all in school. So like, oh, wow. Congratulations. You made it. <laughs> Big accomplishment. <laughs> it looked shaky at times. You didn't know if it was going to come out. Didn't know. Didn't know gonna make it but we're, we're here we had a rough summer so i think they're a little bit behind on other classes but uh-huh. we'll catch up so okay cool well how are you uh, settling in yourself uh, with your teaching here this, this year first day so oh my gosh even, you know just always you know already already behind so it's like yeah <laughs> that's right now you know i got tuesdays and thursdays off i don't have much scholarship to do right now so i'm like all right i got a lot of prep work on those days so Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um so i feel like a lot's changed since the last time we talked and in some ways uh things are very much the same um you know as far as colin kaepernick goes still doesn't have a job amazingly um i know we talked about last time uh you know is this a coordinated blackballing kind of blackout situation but i almost have come to the conclusion that each owner has made that decision on their own that it's just too much of a whatever they think a risk is or whatever Uh, what's your perspective on it at this point um i was you know i like like i said several times i like to look at it as more of a collusion, like a gentleman's agreement, um, to to assume that they don't talk with each other or know. Like I said, you know, you've been around these, I'm sure these billionaires have been around each other for not a long enough time. They know, you know, no one's gonna make that first move, and it's intentional. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they understand that this is a way to to silence their players, mm-hmm. while at the same time, none of them are gonna act as if they're gonna give them the right to to speak freely. But this is clearly. This is punishment, right? Mm-hmm. Businessmen uh, who always talk about not only the bottom line, making money, but winning. And, and I think yeah. some cap could help out some of these poor teams. Right? Yeah. And he would sell, uh, you know, jersey sales too. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think it would it would make up for you know the the like I like to call the fake protesters, right? The people who, they'll be upset for a bit, but they'll get over it. <laughs> um, but I just think they're just trying to to use him to send a message right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Uh, that was actually the next thing I was going to mention is that there was some uh, chatter here in Indiana that oh maybe the Colts will will, will pick him up because they they need the help. Um, but I haven't seen any movement on that front and. Does one team just have to get desperate enough where they give it a, a chance? Maybe. I mean, you know, like uh, you probably know more about the specifics than I do, but th- there are worse quarterbacks that have jobs right now. Right, there are worse quarterbacks. I think. I think we're at the point where 
if it's gonna happen, it can happen, right? He's mm-hmm. uh, in their mind. I, I think the message has been very strong. Like, I don't think another player is gonna step out of line like he did. Um, but, you know, and you see that, right? You see that with guys like Des Bryant, who are like, "Look, I got a family to feed." And you see other people. I think somebody from the Tennessee Titans who put their fist in the air last year is like, "Like, I'm not doing it this year. I have a family to feed." Mm-hmm. And so the owners see this and like, "Okay, this this has this has worked." Um, so I think they're at that point if they're gonna have if they're gonna you know go go through with it. Um, I think the message has been sent. So I don't know. I don't necessarily see it as something that's gonna last forever. Ever. Hmm. But it very could well last forever, right? Because after he's out for a year, then they could always come back and say, well, he's been out for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, right. How, how well is he going to be able to play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of being out and then coming back in, uh, somebody that has followed in his footsteps is uh, one of my favorite players, honestly, Marshawn Lynch. Um, you know, and, and as a side note, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm a journalist, and I know other journalists that got mad at him when he would be like, "I'm just here, so I won't get fired." And I'm like, "That's the most interesting thing you probably heard all day at that press yeah. conference." So what are you complaining about? Like, how much have you got to talk about this now? So, yeah. like, as as somebody looking for a story, there's your story. Okay, like what's the problem <laughs> so but he's followed in his footsteps you know and he has taken that taken that near i think he just sits on the bench or i'm i'm not exactly sure what he does but then there's other players too like i saw a pretty sizable huddle at i forget which game uh there was all sorts uh, of browns game yes exactly so if yeah if, if they're trying to cap you know, to use a pun, uh, what the, what these players are doing, then uh, they have failed miserably because the genie's out of the bottle, and it's you can't just stop this one guy. It's an idea. It's a movement. It's larger than him. You trying to silence him will only make it stronger. I feel like. Right. No, and I think it's become two separate movements. Right. Cap's movement was national anthem and police brutality protest. This movement is Cap solidarity, and I'm not. And maybe there's some Charlottesville part mm. to that, right? Because it's so fresh. But I haven't really seen much about police brutality, right? As was Cap was really clear about what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's the thing with movements. They they could grow and, and they could change and morph into whatever they want. So the guy um, from the Cleveland Browns, the, the white individual, right? Mm-hmm. 14, I mean, his point was, look, I got to raise these, my kids, right? And I got to raise kids that don't look like me. And of course, his wife had a brilliant take, like, don't make him the center of this, right? Don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, not to say what he didn't do wasn't great, but in a way that black people have to live with this, <clears throat> with their lives. But I, but I think that's the beauty of it, right? That that on the one hand, it's not about police brutality, and that's too bad. But on the other hand, it's giving people a voice to, to mm-hmm. speak out. Um, and I'm not sure if talking about, let's say, racial solidarity and, and coming together and creating a better America, that's easier on the ears hmm. than police brutality. Mm-hmm. So some people are okay with that. Right? And then, but um, then again, I think there's that Ohio judge, right, and, mm-hmm. um, who was upset about the Browns. Um, and he wrongly noted that they, <laughs> what, they didn't get drafted in, in the war, even though that hasn't been addressed <laughs> since 1973, right? His complaint was like, I don't know if he called them draft dodgers, but he said something to that effect. Mm. Okay. Wow. Just upset. It's just like fake, right? It's like a fake outrage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, speaking of the police brutality, I mean, that was, like you said, uh, Kaepernick's 
a whole point from the beginning. And in the meantime, we've only seen it proved more right. I mean, his, his main point has not been disproved. It has only been more proven by Flando Castile, I think, it comes to mind very quickly uh, when you when you think about that. Um, so, I mean, can we at least, can people just at least admit he, he had the problem right? And if you want to get to a historical perspective, I don't know when he said this, but he, could, he talked about the connection to police and slave catchers in history. And I don't think a lot of people understand, oh, why don't, you know, black people trust the police? Well, because they were deputized to, you know, complete this action uh, in, in this part of, of history. And he brought that up, too, and he connected that all together. So I think, you know, he was right on the main point, and I think that's very important <laughs> for people to focus on. Right, no, and I look at, and I think anyway, historically anybody who brought up, who would bring up police brutality, no matter what era, would always be right. <laughs> the struggle is that we don't, as a country, we don't want to admit that. Yeah, right. What does it make us if we're going to admit that for, <clears throat> even during slavery, the, the black body police it, and then after emancipation, it's, it's, you know, it's police by police officers and it's police brutality, north, south, west, mm-hmm. all over the place. <clears throat> and it's a civil rights issue and it's a civil rights issue that hasn't gone away to admit that as a nation, you have to admit that democracy hasn't really been promising that, hasn't gone to everybody, right? And then you have to admit that, okay, well, maybe these people, if democracy hasn't been fairly, right, mm-hmm. for, for everybody, if everybody hasn't had equality or equity, mm-hmm. then, well, why are we making such a big stand about these people protesting the national anthem if that's what it represents? Mm-hmm. So to admit that Cap is right is, is to admit a lot about ourselves that, that, you know, we as a nation have never really done. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so true. Yeah. Um, somebody that has been critical of Kaepernick uh, is Jim Brown. And uh, I think he's an interesting character uh, in, in history all the way up to now, just given the fact from where he came to where he is now. I believe he's a Trump supporter. Am I wrong about that? I thought he was appearing at some rallies. Yeah, he's been to the Tower, and he's yeah. been one of those people, like, let's give him a chance. He's going to be great for uh-huh. us. Um, and we haven't seen much of that, so... Yeah, I guess it's him and, and Kanye and Steve Harvey. I guess would be the only other people I can think of. Um, but that's that's a you know the thing with Jim Brown is he is a domestic abuser. He's a known domestic abuser. But does that? Uh, I saw you had an interesting thing on your Twitter about that. Uh, you know, does that that doesn't invalidate that shouldn't invalidate your point. Uh, you're really just doing an ad hominem attack and not dealing with the content of what he's saying. So you know he has he's a mixed there's a, it's a mixed bag with him. I feel like right no. I think with someone like Jim Brown, like, look, it's, it's one thing we have to admit, and, and they, we didn't do this, but we wasn't around, but, you know, media didn't do it, and we don't do a good job of now admitting that, you know, domestic violence was a serious issue for him in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and, and what we saw in the late 80s, early 90s, right? That's a serious issue. But I think my thing about that was people were only bringing that up to silence him. Like This is an issue, domestic violence is an issue that we really have to deal with, not as a prop to, to silence him so he can't speak out against Cap, but really something that said, look, this is who this is who he is, this is how we are, or as a society, and we need to start treating our athletes like this. Not, not to say you have nothing worthy to say, but to treat domestic violence as a separate issue um, that deserves its its justice, right? That we need mm-hmm. to to really talk about this and, and how it impacts people, and and not to treat the victims as if they're not victims. And I think uh, 
when when people did that, it wasn't like they not to say they didn't care about domestic violence, but it wasn't in a way to to really mm-hmm. uh, have a conversation about domestic violence. It's only about oh uh, well. You know, you threw that, you got charged in 65, you threw that woman off the balcony in 68, mm. you say this is about cap. Um, but we could do that, right? We could be critical of Jim Brown as a domestic abuser, and we could also be critical of Jim Brown as somebody who perhaps isn't in the right place at this moment to, to speak ill of Cap's protest um, because of his politics. And, and I think mm-hmm. we, we should do that. Um, with Brown, you know, like Brown's, you know, he was critical, of, you know, in the 60s, he was critical of American society. Uh, he was critical of race issues, and he always knew that the way to solve it was, was green power. Um, I think in Trump and and he might have you know desire more. Of this is writing a, a a book about him, but I think in Trump he sees just another opportunity, another opportunity mm-hmm. to put forth his agenda. This one is more about you know American and um, which is his program, but also you know to keep himself in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we have to admit what Brown did in the 1960s, minus the domestic violence, and I don't think we should ever take that away from his record, but if we're just talking about his um, activism, mm-hmm. um, then what he did was was bold. Um, what he did was, I think, was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, he, he is a domestic abuser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we have a real problem in the society, or maybe it's just human nature, is that we have trouble seeing these iconic people as complicated, multifaceted people. We want them to be this neat story that we can fit into one box or the other. Are they a hero? Are they a villain? It's like, I think sometimes we get both, depending on which way you're looking at it and which time. Um, And I think, I know Ray Rice also had some things to say about Kaepernick, did he not? So do you give Um, him the same leeway? Yeah, I don't don't know. I I haven't seen Ray Rice speak out much. Okay, yeah. He's been pretty quiet, I guess, (laughs) trying to keep his head down, I guess, for the time being. But, um, yeah. Why do you think the NFL has such a conservative bent? Is it, like, the connection to, like, it being, like, a war? Is it, like, because they, I don't know. Like, I feel like if this is the NBA, I heard, uh, I can't remember who I heard say this, but if it was the NBA, it really, I don't see that being as big of a deal somehow. Uh, yeah, it's policed by uh, billionaire owners who, who are conservative. I think most of them are conservative naturally. Um, and I think part of it, and people are probably working on this story, is that just the culture of football is a little bit different, that kind of very team, 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 team oriented, uh, you know, hard work, going to you know, run through a wall type deal. You know, coaches like the head general. Um, and I think it has a way of trying to silence people. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that they don't stand out, right, protesting. And I think that's where a lot of people who've been in football, that's where they're coming out, like those who are against cap, right? They're mm-hmm. so focused on, I mean, since an early age, just team, 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 team. Um, don't be a distraction, don't be a distraction. And I think it's just mm-hmm. that's the only way they can see things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, well, you mentioned Charlottesville before, and I, I guess uh, there's there's no way to get around talking about that these days. Um, but I, I just want your perspective as a historian when you saw that, you know, because you know if you go back in history when uh, similar uh, you know things have happened, it's been like clan rallies, and they're all there 
you know, they're scary. They got the torches. They're, you know, burning stuff, but their head, their heads are covered. They, they don't, there's a reason that there's that mask. Um, it's cause there's a consequence, obviously, if people find out you're doing this, uh, socially, economically, whatever. Um, you know, the protesters, if you want to call them that, whatever you want to call those people that, that turned up for that thing in Charlottesville, um, you know, they didn't have masks and they, they did show their faces and they didn't seem ashamed of what they were doing or saying. And I guess a lot of them, lost their jobs families disowned them after that um as a historian what do you think that says uh, when we compare the you know clan of old and the scary masks to now just barefaced i mean that's oh, a big that's a big uh, point yeah i mean they're they're just emboldened and, and i think um and the administration does that right it's 2017 and there's just a feeling that they don't have to hide their racism and they can hide their racism behind um calls for their heritage or you know kind of this some kind of sick way of looking at political correctness um but i I think it's important just to know that, you know, although we haven't seen the march, right, there's, they've always been there. So so I think sometimes we do this, like, say, the KKK, even in history, we do this. We say, well, here's the first rise of the KKK, and then we'll say, well, the second rise of the KKK, it's, you know, 1915 to the late 1920s, and it's, you know, anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic, anti-black. And then you have a second rise of the KKK post-World War Two. But I think it should always be noted that a lot of these racist feelings haven't gone away. Um, and they're always just looking for an excuse to, to bubble up, right, and, and, and to come together. Um, and I think Trump becomes this excuse, the, the, the really the, the protection he gives because he's like them, becomes this excuse to, to come out um, and, and to be who they are, right, and not, not hide who they are. And I think that's, that's essentially what happens in American history. The difference is, is now they're just like, you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to wear our hoods. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that, that a lot of people were wearing the hoods with the White Citizens Council either, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, so you have your KKK, but the White Citizens Council, you know, these are people out there, right? We're going to, you know, we're going to control the government. We're going to have a White Citizens Council. This is really post-Brown era. Mm-hmm. Um but these guys are a little bit different, right? They're gonna wear their khakis and their and their white polos and and whatever, and and mm-hmm. try to act like they're, they're not something. Um, but you know, as Dennis Green said, they are who we thought they are. <laughs> exactly. Or, or who we thought we were? Is that how he says it? I think that's how it goes. Yeah, I, I think I know the the quote. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is that is interesting. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It's not really like yeah. It's, it's kind of silly to, to split it up like that, <laughs> era by era, because it's it's kind of the unhealed wound of our country that is never fully healed, and it was kind of baked into the cake, you know, to mix my metaphors initially, um, and it's never really been addressed. Um, you know, you can probably speak to this a little better than I can, but it was in South Africa, right, that they had the Truth and Reconciliation Committees. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Oh. It was some apartheid state where they had come together. Maybe it was Rhodesia. I don't remember. It was some. It was some like there had been, uh, you know, a break with with institutional racism, and then they had they had had this time where people could face their accusers and and address these things in public. And I just feel like that America has never done that in a, in a very fundamental fundamental way. Um, well, I don't think we are though. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, what do you think the right, right way to respond to these people in public is? I mean, uh, we saw, you know, this Tina Fey thing where supposed to, you're supposed to stay home and eat cake and not just ignore them. Um, but then in Boston, it looked like what they did was, was pretty successful. Um, obviously, in, in Berkeley, it was, you know, a little bit more violent possibly, but you know, it, it still worked, but they didn't stay home. They didn't eat the cake. They didn't ignore the people and not give them the attention. They overwhelmed them with another thing. Uh, what is it, you know, his, I mean, historically, it seems like showing up and, and making yourself known has been the way to go, I think. No, um, no, I think what it, what it does, the Boston case is a brilliant example. Uh, look, it's mass nonviolent movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, intensely that way, and in this day and age, it's going to get the media there, right? And so mm-hmm. you're going to have the media there. It's going to be covered all day like it was in Boston, and you're going to see you know, you know thousands of people standing up against hate, you know, nonviolently. And, and when you see that, the optics of that, like how can you disagree with this? How mm-hmm. can you say only, only a select few people, the president, right, <laughs> will, will disagree? agree with it and he'll look at these people as violent um and that's just part of the history of looking at nonviolent protests as violence as troublesome as outsider as agitators it's just he's just using the language of of hate and resistance um but most people will, will see it right you do it enough times they'll they'll, they'll come around and mm-hmm. they'll see how, how beautiful and powerful like a nonviolent mm-hmm. integrated protest is yeah I don't know if you saw this uh, one video from, uh, I think it was from Charlottesville, where this guy, like, was wearing the, like, khakis and the, like, white polo shirt, and then, like, uh, things got very real very suddenly for him, and he ran to the side over where the police were and, like, stripped his clothes off, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, this isn't, like, this isn't a team, like, you don't get to just take your uniform off and, like, this game's over, it's like, <laughs> it was it was funny, because, you know, he just sat behind a keyboard all day, every day, with posting the Pepe memes, and, you know, he was just, <laughs> he was just riding high, and then he, he, he tried that in public, and it was, it was, it was a little too, <laughs> the fire was a little too hot for him, so... But he's that, you know, you're right, he's exactly right, you know, the guy who hides behind, um, you know, the the internet, and then all of a sudden gets called out on it, (laughs) physically too, Mm -hmm. right, all that, all that racism momentarily stops, but I'm sure right after that, you will. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That doesn't change. Violence won't change anybody or a threat of violence, not going to change them, Mm -hmm. they're going to be who they are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, the last time we talked, we talked about renaming uh, college campus buildings, uh, you know, from you know notorious uh, racists to uh, not. And then, uh, you know, of course, with Charlottesville, now the the subject seems to be trying to be changed to these Confederate monuments. Um, now, you know, you, you had made the point last time, or we had talked about anyway, that you know there is, you know, we should we should contextualize history when we can, and, and instead of erasing, you know, things, we should put it in. Uh, a context. I'm thinking of. I went to Indiana University at, in one of the main buildings there that, that was built pre World War One. Uh, it has tiles on it, historical tiles, and they're swastikas. And they've had to put up this like, uh, you know, uh, sign, and it says, you know, the swastikas were a sign of good luck and peace and throughout history. And then this happened, and we're not taking them down. And they have a historical context. So, <laughs> and of course, people have like smashed them with like hammers, and you know, some of them remain, and some of them don't. But um, anyway, that's that's more of that. But I mean, these, uh, you know, the thing I think that's been really telling, you know, researching this is kind of look at the timeline of when these Confederate monuments went up. And it's always at times where, uh, you know, there's there's a 
kind of inflection point in, in history and in civil rights are up for grabs and they're kind of put as like intimidation markers. Um, so. No, I, I, right. Um, the beautiful, beautiful thing about this exercise is tons of public libraries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of that information, right, can go there. You, you but uh, you know, if you really want to know about these southerners, you know, read a book or, or <laughs> documentary. But I think you know, what I like is now cities are starting to be honest with their past. So I was just in Louisville this summer to visit the Muhammad Ali Museum. Mm. And a block away from our hotel, there's there's a, a marker there of like you you know saying this is where a slave auction was, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another block down the street, there's another thing about slavery. Um, so you're getting the sense that you know Louisville, I think, is also taking down some Confederate mon- monuments coming up. Mm-hmm. But you're getting the sense that cities are starting to deal with this, and I think that's what Charlotte, Charlottesville was dealing with too, right? Mm-hmm. You really have to be able to tell this history. Um, like I would like to see all these you know Confederate monuments come down, but if they're not right. If you if you really want to keep these up, and and this is something, and you truly believe that this is this is history, and this is how we're going to tell history, then you got to tell history. Mm-hmm. Then you got to tell what mm-hmm. these people did, um, and 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 if it's violent, if if it's vicious, you can't leave that out um, because these monuments are are up there to create this image of us um, who who are not. Right and 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 who we haven't been and and you can't erase these things, um, and I think that's part of the problem that we want to act as if, you know, there wasn't slavery or or there wasn't this systematic uh, movement from from governments both local, state, and federal to get things to as close as slavery as, as possible, um, and I think monuments are a way to to hide that. Mm-hmm. And, and the discussion of them coming down and the discussion of what they represent is a way for us to, to talk about that history and hopefully eventually get to a point where we can move uh, forward, right? Mm-hmm. In the right and equitable direction. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting thing to me has been seeing kind of location of some of these monuments. Obviously, it makes sense uh, for Virginia to have a Confederate monument. If anywhere is going to have one, there's probably going to be some in Virginia. But, uh, you know, I looked it up, and in, in Indiana, there's five. And we were supposedly, I thought we were part of the North. <laughs> I thought we were start, part of the Union team. Um, and then Montana, there, there, were like, there was a city in Montana, I think it was Helena, that was like, oh, we're taking out our Confederate monument. It's like, hold on a second, you weren't even a state yet. What are you, what are you doing? with the Confederate monument in the first place. <laughs> like, right. so it's, and, and what kind of information that, you know, what does that signal to people when it goes up, right? When there's mm-hmm. a movement to put them up, right, to raise these funds, to put them on public property, and then when there's a, a, a pushback, right, what does it tell people about who you are and who we are? Um, and I think that's why they need to, they need to come down, and if they, mm-hmm. if you know, say Montana's not going to bring it down, I think they are. But if they didn't want to, then there, there has to be something there mm-hmm. that explains what it means that they wanted that up and they wanted to keep that up, right? Mm-hmm. And not in a way that they could skirt around racism, but really talk about who they are. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. And I think they're always in these like heroic poses, you know, on top of the horse and stuff. And, you know, that's that's the type of uh, statue you'd expect to see on the winning side. Like the, the winners get to put those up, I think. Like that's that's usually, you know, I've, I've been to Trafalgar Square in London. You know, that's <laughs> they, that was their team and they, that was who they put up. And it makes sense. And it's kind of like, what do you this is no this was a huh? What, is there any example anywhere else in the world of this happening? Like, uh, are we just unique in that? <laughs> I think we are. But it's uh, no, it's just who you're right. It's just who we are, and mm-hmm. who we want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, team mascots are another interesting layer to this um, because you know the, those have, have come under fire. Um, you know, we have the uh, Cleveland Indians and the Redskins, and you know these these Native American uh, mascots. There's also some you know high school and, and college ones that that get even more blatant. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've heard them. Um, you know, it, it, people always say when you when you talk about, well, we should probably change some of these team names. They're like, what's next? You know, the Fighting Irish, and it's like, well, that's you know, that's kind of a stereotype too. I can I could I could see like maybe changing that also. Um, but then again, I know a few people feel very strongly about this, and they have a great personal attachment to these mascots. So what what's your take on all that? Change all of them. Change all of them. Yeah. If look, if someone tell you they're 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 offensive, then then get rid of them. That means that look, if we don't, if people don't want to deal with the context of of you know different Catholic you know Catholic denominations or or what they're Mm -hmm. saying about. Uh, you know what they're you know saying about the Irish, um, then change that too. I mean, yeah. I mean, to, just to you know to say, well, we should keep reds, you know, the Redskins, or we should keep this and that, just because, well, Notre Dame or, or something silly about the Vikings or something. We'll get rid of them then if that's if that's the that's the problem, right? Because they don't want to get rid of them. They just don't. They just want to go on and and not think about how offensive this stuff is to other people. Um, mm-hmm. That's and that's privilege, right? And mm-hmm. I know sports seems so small um, in the context of privilege, but it goes a long way, right? We mm-hmm. force people to to reconcile with the racism and their privilege, and and sports and mascots, um, just as much as monuments, right? Can can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of uh, fighting Irish, I don't know if he's actually Irish, but uh, <laughs> did you watch any part or all of the uh, Mayweather-McGregor fight? I have only seen the 30-second GIF or whatever it is of the TKO. Um, you didn't get the HD $100 package? No, I wasn't. I, you know, the moment it was announced, I made up my mind I wasn't going to give any of those guys my money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was proven right throughout the fight. <laughs> but with regard to Floyd, I hadn't you know, paid to see a Floyd Mayweather fight in a long time. Uh-huh. Um, part of that is just principle. It's like, ah, you know, I don't like this, you know, really who, who he became. Um, the other part is just the reality that his fights were never really, they, you know, it was just so good as, as a fighter. They never really lived up to... Um, you know, to 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 the hype, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not giving, you know, this guy is abuser. I'm not going to give this guy sixty bucks mm-hmm. um, to to be who he was. Um, but you know, the, you know, to be clear, this fight is made because McGregor's white, right? And this is, and that's why it's able to make that much money. Um, mm-hmm. That's able to sell, um, and that's why people were vested in and really truly believe that he he had a shot. 
um, you know, there's there's something to be said, this idea that, you know, this guy who boxed for 30 years of his life, maybe even more, um, a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And, and tons of, you know, he's, he's a decorated amateur fighter. And then since the 96 Olympics, he's been one of the top pros. This idea that you could train for eight weeks and somehow, even though he comes out of retirement in two years, that you could somehow, after eight weeks of training, be that caught up. There's there's something to that, right? There's something about, uh, like, I don't think we'd do that with anybody else. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, not even Mike. I think even Mike Jordan, we realized that he was going to struggle in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did struggle for for a whole for a whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that thirty for thirty about that. That was pretty interesting. Right, but you know, you know, the, you know, two guys, people paid, and they got their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really. It's kind of it reminded me. I think the last time a, a, a fight had this kind of cultural penetration was the uh, Pacquiao fight. Um, and that's, you know, is that just how boxing is going to be from now on? It's just going to be these big blockbuster fights every 10 months or something like, is that, and, and this one seemed like more of a stunt than any of them I've ever seen only because, you know, I didn't hear anybody seriously thinking that McGregor was going to win. I mean, this just seemed like, okay, well, one of these people knows how to do this and the other knows how to do something else and they're coming over here and it's, you know, it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. At least it seemed to me. And I was totally not shocked when I heard the result. Um, is that, what do you, what do you think about the stunt aspect of it? Uh, kind of the cross of the UFC trying to, you know, mix audiences and, you know, trying to pump things up. I mean, is this a new level or have we kind of always been here in some way? I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what they, these guys sell. I mean, it's their gladiator sports and they, they, they feed off this, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are going to be gladiators. They're going to go at it. Um, boxing, you know, especially Floyd knows when to sell, knows how to sell his fights. I mean, he fights um, every year around Cinco de Mayo and um, and then in September around uh, Independence. Um, Mexican Independence, right? Um, mm-hmm. Big dates in boxing this year. It's going to be Canelo and, and Alvarez. So he had to, I mean, Canelo and Triple G. So he had to pick a, a different date and it, and it still sold. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, there were more people in the Chavez Jr. Alvarez fight in May at that time mm-hmm. uh, around Cinco de Mile than there was for the McGregor Mayweather fight but that just might be price point um, mm-hmm. but you know boxing boxing I think boxing is not dead it's popular around the world um, in America it's it's, I mean, it's got to compete with a lot of a lot of sports mm-hmm. um, and I think they're starting you know people are starting to realize um, the pay-per-view model is starting to to, to go away. Um, you can watch fights on HBO and Showtime, but you can also watch fights on ESPN. They have really good fighters hmm. um, this month. Um, Lomachenko, who's one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in that, Bud Crawford. And hopefully, hopefully, um, if you're like a boxing purist and you love the sweet science, I'm, I'm hoping that ESPN shows more of these guys, right? These guys who, who aren't, who will never get the Mayweather money, who will hopefully imagine, you know, see that, you know, doing uh, basic TV or basic cable will help them out more in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but how did you get in, interested in the first place in boxing? Uh, what What was your first experience with seeing fights? Did you see fights live when you were when you were growing up, or? Yeah, we used to. I mean, my brother and I we used to watch a lot of fights whenever it was on, or you know, the major fights. You know, fight whose house we're we gonna go to, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to go to these fights, and then 
and when I was an undergrad, when I had an opportunity um, to write papers, like to write a major paper, I was able to write a paper about uh, the Jack Johnson Jim Jeffries fight. It was like one of those long papers, and so that's what got me into um, you know believing that I could actually do this, right? I could actually use history and the skills that I gained as a historian to to talk about boxing. Mm-hmm. And talk about other sports. Mm-hmm. So this is that's what I do, and, and hopefully I get to continue to do that, right? Just like mm-hmm. sports and, and history. Yeah. Um, right. So I may have accidentally purchased a six-month subscription to newspaperarchives.com because I was trying to sign up for a free trial and I was looking for an obituary. I actually found somewhere that was free later anyway. <laughs> so um, uh, how do I make the most of it while I have it? Um, what process do you use when you're combing through old newspapers? Do you use keywords? Do you look at specific papers and cities? Do you concentrate on time periods? What, what's your method of, of attacking oh, a subject? Uh, a lot of what I like to do is microfilm, so I don't have to do any of that. Oh, really? Okay, so you're actually with the big uh, projector machine and They're all. A lot that. smaller now, and you can. Oh, they are. <laughs> okay. You just go through and you read them, um, but so that's what I like to do. Now, if I was to get stuff um, that had, um, when I use databases, just keywords, or um, it just really depends what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Fight or fighter, you know their name. Um, if it's a, a subject, someone's name with that subject, so. And, and quotes and then democracy and quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different ways to try to search for political cartoons depending on, on your database and, and the search terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would recommend if you have it for six months, then use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes people just get it free, right? Like what you said, just, you know, oh man, I'm just going to get like 10 articles. And, <laughs> and you kind of waste your money, but just like if something pops up, like mm-hmm. oh, I want to know this history, I would just get it. And if you could PDF them, PDF them. Right. You, know, you never know when you're going to need them. Yeah. Um, well, if you ever need uh, the login information, just hit me up and I'll get you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have the hookup until February, and then <laughs> hopefully I cancel my information. <laughs> I don't need that auto renewing. Um, right. But uh, anyway, you have a lot of books coming out, right? You have a couple coming out right now, don't you? Right. Um, so Amazon says September 30th. So one's. Um, I Fight for a Living, which is about boxing and black manhood from 1880 to 1915, and the other one, We Will Win the Day, which is about the black athlete and and the civil rights movement. Um, and that's that one, again, that's uh, September 30th. Mm-hmm. So uh, is there anything else we didn't talk about that you want to get in there? I, I appreciate you taking all this time. Oh, I'll tell everyone to buy my books. No, buy, buy his books, people. <laughs> yeah, they're wonderfully researched. Um, and we talked about with the um, we're researching a lot of them just sitting down with the microfilm and getting stuff that people you know don't have access to or didn't have access to at the time and, mm-hmm. and going through them and then really telling the stories <clears throat> through Americans, right? So Whenever I try to write, it's it's always, you're always going to get, even with the Twitter, right, you're always going to get a lot of primary sources, right? And mm-hmm. try to take myself away from that. I'll put context to them, but it's really to step away and, and to give people an opportunity to see what they, they normally won't, right? Because I, I research research a lot. So mm-hmm. even if I'm doing a fight, like if I, if I wanted to research a fight, especially back in the day, I would just go, a lot of people just go to that day of the fight, the day after the fight, I'd go back like a month, right? Like mm-hmm. when they signing this fight we're mm. coming in but what's also going around with this yeah um, or for that 
told me the boxing book. Uh, you know, I wanted to know about LA and sports, so I went and got a news, you know, newspaper that wasn't online. Um, that that you didn't have access to online. The Los Angeles Herald. Mm. And I grew like six years every day of the sports section. Wow. This before I could PDF it, so um, uh, I had to be smart of when and what I copied. Um, and I and I also did that for like the LA Express. So I have like I think most of the sports section and most of the stuff unboxing in that newspaper from. Mm. Maybe like 1900 to 1903. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's everyday newspapers. Huh. So that's why I think these books are, are you know, they're going to be unique because it's the stuff that people have have never seen. Right? Mm. Um, you know, same fires, but just different different stuff, and just being able to put that into context. Right. Uh, I think yeah, primary sources are, are very important on that. Um, now, how do you uh, do? You happen to know about the the copyright implications of, of reproducing those primary sources? Is it like a certain time period as it would have passed, or if the newspaper is defunct, or? Oh, uh, I think there's like seventy five years. Oh, is that it? Okay. Um, so some of the oldest stuff, and and you know, it's you mean so you know when I post some of the stuff I post, a lot of the stuff I post, it's just stuff I've gotten. You know, I PDF it on my own. I'm like. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> it's like a little, it's a little, yeah. little, little article here and there. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but at the end of the day, I think it's really important that people see some of the stuff, right? Some of these old oh, yeah. that we post. Um, because then now a lot of times you just don't have access to it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know... Twitter gives us an opportunity to, to provide that access to people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing to go back and look at those primary sources because, you know, you have to imagine when the people were, were seeing this stuff at the time, none of this seemed, uh, you know, this just seemed like what was happening, kind of like how, you know, I'm sure it'll look later to other people in the future about now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, once you yank it back into the present, it's kind of like, wow, this is like, this is a little, like, uh, thermometer of, of the temperature at the time and people weren't seeing this for what it was at the time and it's just it's just amazing sometimes to go back and look at those uh, primary sources now and, and imagine that people thought this was normal so right right now if i could do it i'd do do a lot more of it um so mm -hmm. hopefully when i get another big break come summertime i'll, I'll get some more stuff pdf and, and see what i can get out of it all right well uh, thank you again for taking so much time and uh, i don't want to take up uh, too much time because i know that you're probably wanting to unwind from your first day here so so, um, uh, thanks again, and, and everyone buys books. Seriously, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. So, um, but uh, anyway, I'll talk to you again soon. All right, thanks. All right, thanks.
you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.